This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm Josh Malden, and I'm here in conversation today with Eton Anwar, who is a professor of religious studies at Hobart and William Smith Colleges, and who was a CTI member in our program on religion and violence. Welcome to the podcast, Eton. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You were at CTI about a year ago, a year and a half ago during our program, as I said, on religion and violence. So maybe just to start, before we start talking about religious reflection on the pandemic, maybe you could talk about the project you worked on at CTI on religion and violence. As you know, I've been working on Muslims, the myth of Muslim as violent people. I am particularly interested to look at Muslims as a political ideology marker. I haven't made a lot of progress, but I'm working on it. What were some of the projects you worked on before you came to that project? I know you've worked in the area of Islamic feminism. Yeah, my uh, I just published a book on, well, 2018, uh, on genealogy of Islamic feminism, patterns and change in Indonesia. It deals with the encounter between Islam and feminism from 1900 to 1990s. Um, my new project it is partly... Uh, uh, connected to my old project, but uh, because I look at the emergence of uh, anti-Americanism in Indonesia, and I feel I, I need to do my uh, work on, on America, because I'm here, I live here. I need to understand more about uh, the American perception of Muslims and Islam. Tell me a bit about what's the reception been of your book on genealogies of Islamic feminism? Have you had have you had resistance to that or has it been primarily, you know, open reception? Indonesia as a subject matter is not uh, big in America. It is a marginal field. And the, the, the topic of Islamic feminism has been around since 1970s, 80s. So it is old and new at the same time. It is old because a lot of scholars are dealing with how to think about the relationship between Islam and feminism. And at the same time, is, the, the perspective on Islam and feminism has revolved around the Middle East. So that's, that's all. Uh, what is new from my project is that I, I bring the Indonesian voice. I bring a, a very different type of Islam from the Middle Eastern one, at least in my opinion, uh, because Islam in Indonesia is uh, very particular. It is not based on tribalism, it is more or less based on kinship. It is also based on uh, egalitarianism. Between genders, egalitarianism, you mean? Yes. Well, of course, um, you know, it is debatable. But uh, in Indonesia, in terms of language, for instance, we don't have uh, a distinction between masculine and feminine within, within the language itself. Uh, when we refer to men, laki-laki and refer to women, perempuan, while in America, you know, men, women, there is always that man part. <laughs> and also when we refer to uh, he, she, in our language, it is uh, basically equal for men and women. Some anthropologists have argued uh, saying that although when we are looking at uh, Indonesian women, it appears to be, you know, equal, especially within the matriarchal culture, but still, the, the system itself is very uh, patriarchal. The legal, the regulation, the marital bill, for instance, is very, very hierarchical. Hmm. The other question I had was, um, you know, this is a special series of the podcast. I'm trying to get in touch with 
CTI scholars across a range of disciplines, religious studies, theology, sociology, anthropology, sciences, to talk about how they're thinking about this pandemic from their own disciplinary perspective. So I'd like to toss that question to you. Over the last six months, as we've been facing this crisis, what are some of the ideas that have percolated in your mind? Well, uh, like many, like in many religions, uh, Islam is the source for resilience. Islam teaches Muslim how to cope and adjust with the new situation. As you, as you know that uh, in the beginning, when we have pandemic, sometime in, I think in April and then May, we were, you know, fasting during the month of Ramadan. And then we were also celebrating the Idul Fitri. And all the rituals have been conducted differently. Mosques were closed during Ramadan. The prayers were done mostly in the house. During the Idul Fitri, we were also forced to celebrate the, the Eid in the house. So the pandemic changes the way we conduct religion, the way we understand religion too, because any religion has the component of, of faith, people, community, and, and ritual. And now, basically, we have the faith, but the ritual is individualized. We don't really have community uh, in terms of, you know, gathering in the mosque. And the mosque, especially in America, is the, the centerpiece for Muslims, where they can meet their friends, where they can innate the feeling of home. They, they meet friends with the same language, same belief, and they eat the same food sometimes too. So pandemic demands Muslims, uh, especially in the U.S., to really cope and adjust. Have any mosques been opening yet in the United States, or are they still all... I heard that uh, some mosques in Rochester area started to open last uh, July, but uh, they, they require us to register for attendance, which, which makes sense because, you know, for, for, the, for the purpose of contact tracing, you would need that registration. Otherwise, we don't know who's coming and, you know, and, and the, the, how to trace these people. But I haven't gone to any of the mosques, so I, I don't quite know uh, in terms of uh, uh, the attendance and you know, how, how people respond to, to the opening and things like that. Do you think there will be long-term changes to the religious practice on the basis of this? Or sort of after we get through it, will things kind of go back to how they were before? I think, you know, the, the pandemic is like a bomb <laughs> in humanity. It is going to change um, you know, the, way, the way people relate to religions, the way Muslims relate to Islam. And at this point, uh, in my opinion, the pandemic has changed the authority. Before, people come to the mosque for the religious authority, but now they have to seek the religious authority online. And also the emergence of virtual prayer, a virtual remembrance of God, and, and many mosques offer a virtual prayer using Zoom. <laughs> and also, uh, there are religious meetings, for instance, that, that, that have been conducted, conducted also using Zooms. So, you know, two things happening here. One is uh, the changing of ritual itself, uh, the way it is conducted, and second, the emergence of new authorities in religion. Would you say in that sense that it's been a kind of, I don't know if I should say democratizing force, but it's sort of taken authority away from the top and sort of spread it out? Well, um, as you know, 
in Islam, we don't have this, you know, top-down authority mm. at all. Uh, but in regard to religious offering, um, it is more or less dem- democratized uh, because now uh, every every man, every woman has to has to be able to do the prayer on his own and her own. That's that's very democratic. Mm. And when uh, in Islam we have uh, what we call a gathering prayer. We pray together at the same time, and we, it is five times a day. It is usually conducted in the mosque, but now families are doing it in the house. So we are actually removing, you know, the mosque authority into family authority. Hmm. Uh, what does it mean? It would mean that there is a new lifestyle within each household too, if, they, if, if, if this household is practicing Islam. Fascinating. One of the things you said a moment ago is that... Uh, Islam is a source of resilience for people in difficult times, and we certainly are in a difficult time. Maybe speak a bit more about what are those sources of resilience? Are there particular ideas, theologies, practices, rituals, as you say, that provide that, those kinds of resilience? Well, the concept of Tawheed, the oneness of God, is, in my opinion, the, the, the basic foundation for resilience itself. By acknowledging there is uh, one God, and only God, it invites Muslim to, to rely on God. It invites Muslim to, to, to return all the difficulties to God. Yes, it, is, it, it sounds like very uh, pessimistic because, because you know, we are, we are granting God for everything that is happening in the world now. But at the same time, it invites us to, to be optimistic. It invites us to tell ourselves that there is something beyond you. There is God beyond you. And life is difficult. It is difficult for, for all of us, for many people. People lose job, people lose livelihood, lose businesses, maybe at some point lose houses. And people also lose uh, you know, parents, children, neighbors, friends. So, so this is difficult. Uh, but at the same time, we cannot control all of this. And, and the concept of Tawheed, uh, the oneness of God, gives Muslim the foundation to return everything to God while managing what a person, individuals could do in, you know, in this world. You just told me a moment ago before we started recording that just yesterday you started the fall semester at your, at your college, Hobart and William Smith Colleges. You live in upstate New York. Uh, it's Geneva, New York. Is that right? And so yesterday you started fall classes and Maybe talk about the, the teaching you're doing. You're actually teaching in person. Yes, I, I decided to teach in person. Um, this semester I'm teaching gender and Islam, facet of Islam, and introduction to Islam. Uh, I have uh, students who are very eager to be in the classroom, but we are doing very well in cleaning up, uh, in cleaning our space, our working space, in, in maintaining our distance, and in wearing mask, face mask, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of my students and of myself too. You know, it is so difficult to talk with mask, especially in the fourth language. I mean, English is my fourth language. <laughs> so, so it was my, my first day uh, yesterday. So I, I think that tomorrow we plan to re- re-evaluate and evaluate what we have done, what works, what doesn't work. I admire my students for, for being brave. We have been, you know, quarantine for what almost six months 
and now we are you know and we are very careful we don't go out we don't party we don't do a lot of things that we were supposed to do during the summer but now we are you know putting ourselves out there in front of students who are coming from all over in america so it is difficult yet we are trying our best do you think in your teaching you the ideas of, of living in this pandemic will come up or we we keep emphasizing the importance of health um, and being healthy yes i think uh, in my at least for me in my in my first day of teaching in my three courses uh, we were talking about uh, how to be healthy to be safe during the pandemic and i told them that being careful now it save you um, for another 80 years or maybe <laughs> 81 years the reason i said that because um, from my reading i learned that uh, once you have uh, this virus it is going to impact your body your organ I- even if you survive it is not going to be the same uh, as it uh, it was before so i'm i'm scared yes <laughs> but i told my student we all have to work together and we 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 have to be healthy otherwise you know we are we are we are not keeping ourselves healthy and the semester is going to end and yeah so so we we keep saying please stay healthy and be healthy lead normal i want to thank you again for being on the podcast and for sharing these wonderful insights from the islamic tradition and just also talking about your own teaching and research that you're doing these days so thanks a lot for being on the podcast today thank you my pleasure